Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the fun they had by Isaac Asimov. This is uh, got a um, interesting publication history. Most people probably, well, most uh, regular people probably read it in FNSF, uh, which uh, had an issue in February 1954 with the story, but it was actually published in a ma- uh, newspaper, probably. Uh, it's called the NEA Service. I don't even know what NEA stands for, but I... National Education Association. There you go. And FNSF, for any one of our listeners who don't know, stands for the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. Indeed. Um, Isaac Asimov, I think, wrote a number of stories for the, what was it called? The National Education? National Education Association. Ah, Association, yes. okay. Um, and I think that and this is a pretty good story for doing education for kids, because I use it uh, with my students fairly frequently. And I think it's a, a very fun story, very interesting story. And I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read it for us. Fresh from 1951, Jesse Willis. I'm listening, my friend. All right. I'll do my best. The Fun They Had by Isaac Asimov. Margie even wrote about it that night in her diary. On the page headed May 17th, 2155, she wrote, Today, Tommy found a real book. It was a very old book. Margie's grandfather once said that when he was a little boy, his grandfather told him that there was a time when all stories were printed on paper. They turned the pages, which were yellow and crinkly, and it was awfully funny to read words that stood still instead of moving the way they were supposed to, on a screen, you know. And then, when they turned back to the page before, it had the same words on it that it had had when they had read it the first time. Gee, said Tommy, what a waste. When you're through with the book, you just throw it away, I guess. Our television screen must have had a million books on it, and it's good for plenty more. I wouldn't throw it away. Same with mine, said Margie. She was 11 and hadn't seen as many telebooks as Tommy had. He was 13. She said, Where did you find it? In my house, he pointed without looking, because he was busy reading. In the attic. What's it about? School. Margie was scornful. School? What's there to write about school? I hate school. Margie always hated school, but now she hated it more than ever. The mechanical teacher had been giving her test after test in geography, and she had been doing worse and worse until her mother had shaken her head sorrowfully and sent for the county inspector. He was a round little man with a red face and a whole box of tools, with dials and wires. He smiled at her and gave her an apple. Then took the teacher apart. Margie had hoped he wouldn't know how to put it together again, but he knew how all right, and after an hour or so, there it was again, large and black and ugly, with a big screen on which all the lessons were shown and the questions were asked. That wasn't so bad. The part she hated most was the slot, where she had to put homework and test papers. She always had to write them out in a punch code they made her learn when she was six years old, and the mechanical teacher calculated the mark in no time. The inspector had smiled after he had finished and patted her head. He said to her, 
It's not the little girl's fault, Mrs. Jones. I just, I think the geography sector was geared a little too quick. Those things happen sometimes. I slowed it up to an average ten-year level. Actually, the overall pattern for her progress is quite satisfactory. And he patted Margie's head again. Margie was disappointed. She had been hoping they would take the teacher away altogether. They had once taken Tommy's teacher away for nearly a month, because the history sector had blanked out completely. So she said to Tommy, Why would anyone write about school? Tommy looked at her with very superior eyes. Because it's not our kind of school, stupid. This is the old kind of school that they had hundreds of hundreds of years ago, he added loftily, pronouncing the word carefully. Centuries ago. Margie was hurt. Well, I don't know what kind of school they had all that time ago. She, she read the book over his shoulder for a while, then said, Anyway, they had a teacher. Sure, they had a teacher, but it wasn't a regular teacher. It was a man. A man? How could a man be a teacher? Well, he just told the boys and girls things and gave them work, homework and asked them questions. A man isn't smart enough. Sure he is. My father knows as much as my teacher. He can't. A man can't know as much as a teacher. He knows almost as much, I betcha. Margie wasn't prepared to dispute that. She said, I wouldn't want a strange man in my house to teach me. Tommy screamed with laughter. You don't know much, Margie. The teachers didn't live in the house. They had a special building, and all the kids went there. And all the kids learned the same thing? Sure, if they were the same age. But my mother says a teacher has to be adjusted to fit the mind of each boy and girl. It teaches, and that each kid has to be taught differently. Just the same, they didn't do it that way then. If you don't like it, you don't have to read the book. I didn't say I didn't like it, Margie said quickly. She wanted to read about those funny schools. They weren't even half finished when Margie's mother called, Margie, school! Margie looked up. Not yet, Mama. Now, said Mrs. Jones, and it's probably time for Tommy's, too. Margie said to Tommy, Can I read the book some more with you after school? Maybe, he said nonchalantly. He walked away whistling, and the dusty old book beneath his arm. Margie went into the schoolroom. It was right next to her bedroom, and the mechanical teacher was on, waiting for her. It was always on at the same time every day except Saturday and Sunday, because her mother said little girls learned better. They learned at regular hours. The screen lit up, and it said, Today's arithmetic lesson is on the addition of proper fractions. Please insert yesterday's homework in the proper slot. Margie did so with a sigh. She was thinking about the old schools they had when her grandfather's grandfather was a little boy, and the kids from the whole neighborhood came laughing and shouting in the schoolyard, sitting together in the schoolroom, going home together at the end of the day. They learned the same things so they could help one another on their homework and talk about it. And the teachers were people. The mechanical teacher was flashing on the screen, when we add fractions half and one quarter, Margie was thinking about how kids must have loved it in the old days. She was thinking about the fun they had. End of story. <laughs> so you say this is a story you use often with your own students. Yeah, every year or so I get a new batch of students. I, I like to use this story. It's fun. Um, it's short. It's about school. It makes kids think about school. And uh, I, I 
used it recently, and I asked the kids what they thought about it. And I said, which would you prefer? <laughs> would you prefer to have a mechanical teacher at home? Um, would you prefer to have a human teacher at home? <laughs> a special room in your house? Or would you rather go to a school with everybody? And <laughs> they all had different opinions and different ideas, and they usually do. But uh, I, I, I like this story because it makes us look both backwards and forwards uh, at education. And it shows some ideas about what the future of education might look like, uh, what education is, how education works. It's, it offers a lot of thought-provoking stuff uh, for a kid's mind and for my mind. I, I'm a I'm a man. I'm a teacher. <laughs> so yeah. I think about I think about the fun they had <laughs> quite a bit. The way the story ends, Margie was thinking about how the kids must have loved it mm -hmm. in the old days. She was thinking about the fun they had. These are the kids who go to school together and go home together and can help each other because they learn the same thing. It's it's fundamentally a desire to learn within social context. I believe, in fact, that that is how people learn. Uh, I grew up in an apartment building. Um, actually, when I was first acquiring language, I lived in a two-family house in Queens, New York. But I, I noticed that uh, I didn't learn how to squeal like the brakes of a car coming too quickly to the intersection near our home. And I didn't learn to clatter like the uh, the carts that would go by collecting things. Um, the words that I learned and the sounds that I learned to make were the ones that I understood as an infant were meaningful for the people around me. I think one of the reasons that people learn well from people is that they want to learn what people care to have them learn. And sometimes we can trans translate that to a machine. Sometimes we can translate that to our own idea of a machine, you know, like, aha, I'm looking for my personal best. And the machine keeps giving me a chance to hone my skills. But what, what Margie wants here is to be part of a class. Mm -hmm. She wants to be with friends. Uh, I find that fascinating because if you ask where, the writer of this story wants us to to come down. He seems at one point to be saying mechanical teachers are better than human teachers because mechanical teachers can be adjusted to the absolute needs of every individual student. Mm -hmm. But Margie's mother, who wants her to have the mechanical teacher, decides that Little girls should all be studying at the same day, Monday through Friday, same time, Monday through Friday, because little girls learn better if they all learn following the same mechanical mold. Now, there's an interesting contradiction there. Mm -hmm. And I think the way the story works its way out is not explicit. It is explicit about wanting to have classmates. But what is not explicit about its idea of education is that the classmates will give us a value to what we do together, even if it happens to be the same thing. Now, that same thing could be delivered 
by mechanical teachers. So I think what the story ultimately is suggesting about education is that it should exploit technology, but it should exploit technology that is humanized by the way in which people want to learn, which includes socially. And I think the story makes that beautifully vivid by having three characters who are all concerned with the nature of education and are pulling for and against each other. You know, what is the idea? Margie is 11 years old. I think that the county inspector is uh, not giving her due credit. He says she's making adequate progress, but he changes one of the gears back to 10-year level, even though she's 11. But he doesn't tell that to the mother. He doesn't say, I'm mm. back. He says, no, she's making perfectly good progress. Margie has a an inquiring mind. The very first sentence is, that Margie was writing in her diary. Mm -hmm. She even wrote about it that night in her diary. Why is a kid keeping a diary in a world that has gone beyond books? <laughs> it tells us something, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. About really love, which is why I think the National Education Association wanted to, to promulgate this and why they're doing it so that their teachers, their members, and you as a teacher can put this story in front of kids and ask them what they think about mm -hmm. it. It's, it's funny. It starts with the premise of Margie being curious. And we see interesting reversals, like the mother wanting to have individualized teaching, but treating her daughter in a mechanical way. Mm -hmm. Notice the county inspector, when he sits down to, to fix the teacher, he smiled at her, meaning Margie, and gave her an apple, mm -hmm. and then took the teacher apart. Gee, I thought the apple was for the teacher, mm -hmm. not for the student. She's um, teaching herself. That's actually the implication, right? What does she exactly. want to do more than anything? She wants to read that book. She doesn't exactly. want to go into that horrible room with that mean teacher that all it does is gear more stuff at her and make, make her put... A punch. It, it's so funny to read this story and have to explain. Of course, kids at the time wouldn't have to have this stuff explained, but what, how punch codes work and how you have to conform to the computer rather than the computer form conforms to you. It's a mechanical teacher. It's not even electric. Right? It's it's right. it's like steam powered or something. <laughs> well, so, it's. I don't know. You perhaps you're too young to ever have seen a. Uh, a punch card sorter. I, I exactly know. I exactly know. Uh, yeah, it's not steam powered, but it is. It is. Um, uh, it is literally a mechanical computer, and so yes, it has a screen. Uh, but I, I get the sense that they have another part of the house where they read books. It's not in the horrible teacher in the classroom, right? Because when they talk about reading, Tommy and uh, Margie. Um, how telebooks work. This is the part I, I sometimes focus on and think about how ebooks work, right? <laughs> ebooks are really interesting. I, I don't have them, uh, you know, like a, an ebook reader, but I, I have an iPad and I use the sort of the app that does the same job. You tap on the screen or a part of the device to change the page, right? But when you turn back, you're pressing a different button or a different thing. What prevents 
the words from being changed when you go back? Well, the fact that the book is there, right? But what we know from from uh, the uh, major ebook retailer, Amazon Kindle, is that they can delete books out of your 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 library. And if you can delete books, or you can go in and add things or remove things, you've got a whole potential of a world that is not the record of a book like Margie's diary. I don't know if Margie writes on her telebook screen, her diary, but I think she must. Well, we don't know that. That's that's a, an interesting problem. Uh, what does it mean when it said that she wrote at night in her diary? Mm-hmm. Um, you can certainly open up an online document and keep your diary going, and then the powers that be, that is the economic powers that be, as well as the governmental ones, will know exactly what you've written. Or a uh, giant scroll, it could be a giant scroll, as long as it doesn't have pages but that, that no you turn back on. the privacy of diary. That's right. I think what's really important here is all of the different varieties of communicating information. There's the diary, there's conversation, there's kids who talk to each other about stuff, mm-hmm. there is the rather... Uh, authoritarian approach that we can infer about the teacher as well as the authoritarian approach of the mother. Mm-hmm. There's an expression that I like a lot that I couldn't help but think of the whole time I read this, both the, 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 when I first read it and on rereadings. Learning is child's play. Uh, and that's true. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you get out of kids' way, and they will learn stuff. They may not learn your curriculum, but they will learn stuff. That is learning is child's play. It is worth noting, which uh, Asimov does not indicate here. He may or may not know it. He probably does. He was so darn smart. The etymology of school goes back to the Greek word for leisure. Mm-hmm. Right. That's where, and it, and it wasn't referring to kids. It was referring to what a citizen would do when a citizen didn't need to work. A citizen would engage in debate. A citizen would consider philosophy. Mm-hmm. A citizen would have discussion, in other words, with other people and would sharpen his, it was always his for citizens in ancient Greece, understanding. Margie wants that. And the fact that it begins with her writing in a diary, whether it is private or not, that is whether no one else can read it or not, shows us that she is finding the information environment in which she lives either too narrow or insufficiently supportive of her own creativity. I like Margie a lot. Mm. She... She's being pounded down by the horrible school she has to attend. On the other hand, she seems to have a neighbor who is equally interested in learning outside of the horrible school environment. And uh, it is kind of interesting to think about this story uh, from an adult point of view. What does the rest of the world look like outside of Margie's house and, and Tommy's house? It seems It seems must be like some sort of dystopia because... Everybody reads on a device that could change the previous page. They don't, they don't move around. The letters don't move around. The, the pages have to be turned in this really strange book. 
Uh, nobody knows what these books lo- look like or what, you know, they're familiar with them. It's not that there's a secret exactly, but we can imagine that what they're doing is illicit. And I was thinking about when, when I talked to my students about what, what's going on in this story, I think about how they are in a classroom with me. Um, I'm their tutor, essentially. I'm not a regular school teacher. I don't have a big class. They have, you know, class sizes between 25 and 28 or something like that of regular school. And then they come to me and they've got a class size between one and four or five, sometimes a little bit bigger, but that's generally about it. And I asked them, which would you prefer? Would you prefer to be alone with the teacher would you prefer a small class with two or three other students or a giant class? And you have to be careful because sometimes they want really big classes so that they don't get attention, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they can sit at the back and read whatever it is they want to read or play whatever game they want to play and not be the focus of the teacher's ire. Um, so if you correct for that, they seem to think that, you know, a class size of around 10 is fine. Um, they don't mind smaller ones, but they like a little bit bigger in case they can't make friends with some of the kids, right? Yeah. And and then I asked them, you know, I did a poll. I said, how many hours of school do they have per week? And they they all, you know, have the same approximate number, either 35 or 30 hours a week of regular school. And then I said, what about tutoring? And then we go through the list and it includes uh, ranges between six and seven or nine hours a week of just extra tutoring outside of school. And then I said, what about at home? Do you read at home for fun? And he said, yeah. (laughs) So they're, um, they're, they really understand. I mean, this is the kid's world, right? Is that is their job. They go to school. They don't work. They go to school and, um, school sounds like fun in this story because they're seeing it from, an alien perspective, right? The future. Well, you know, I'm sorry. Go Forgive for me. it. I think that you may well be right about how the kids think of it. You may well be right about the kinds of kids that are implied in this in this story. I view it as kind of suburban. Uh, it's 1951. It's post-war America. Tommy lives in another house down the street. Mm-hmm. Each kid has his or her own bedroom. They have sufficient money that there is an extra room next to the bedroom that can house the teacher. Um, the the Tommy and Margie sound like perfect. I mean, they could have come from a, a 1950s television sitcom. And Mrs. Jones is the name of the mm-hmm. mother. Mm-hmm. Have a, right? um, this sounds like, uh, frankly, white middle class suburban America. Mm-hmm. And in this white middle class suburban America, it looks like there is a sort of enlightened reliance on grad grindism, you know, that that notion from Dickens' hard times uh, that we're going to get nothing but answers. We're going to be perfectly mechanical. And of course, what Dickens is doing there in the middle of the 19th century is critiquing the notion that education can be itself industrialized. Um, but I don't know whether or not Asimov is alert. No one can actually know everything about what he writes any more mm-hmm. than everything about what you say. Um, but I would point out 
some wonderful aspects of this. Um, he found the book, right? Where did you find it? Margie asks. In my house. He pointed without looking, mm-hmm. okay? Because he was busy reading. So the world inside the book is now more real, or at least equally real, to the world outside the book. Mm-hmm. He's pointing, presumably, up the block to his own home. Well, this is because he was reading. In the attic, she said. But she, uh, He says, what's it about, she asks. And he says, school. Now, I would point out, um, we could take a lot of time on this, and I don't want to, um, Gaston Bachelard has a wonderful book, uh, one of the classics of phenomenology called, um, the, called The Poetics of Space. And by this he means how do different spaces work for us cognitively, socially, culturally? What kind of a phenomenon is it? Uh, to make this really quite simple and quickly get back to this story, there is all the difference in the world between an attic and a basement. The attic is where we have to do with things having to do with the mind. Mm -hmm. The basement is where we have things having to do with unmitigated desire. When you have in those Victorian novels a mad woman, she's in the attic because it's a derangement of the mind. When you have a monster, he's penned up and and in the dungeon, in Mm -hmm. the basement. Now, for everyone, the house is in fact a metonymy for its occupants. And in fact, we even see this in heraldry. You're not the House of Windsor, the House of Stuart, you know, right? The house is the representation of the people whose house it is. So when Tommy says, pointing elsewhere, I found it in my house, it's his grandfather's grandfather that liked school. Right. It's in my house. This is an aspect of Tommy. It's his heritage. And he found it in the attic. This works so perfectly in the way in which we can understand a deeper a deeper sense of what was being striven for in creating those suburbs. People wanted a sense of autonomy. This was a way to have a home of your own. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be able to have a sense that they understood the world. And in a way, you said this is a dystopia. I think you're right. I think it's a dystopia because... Everyone has been sucked into this conformity. Five days a week, same time of day, at the same mechanical discussion, and Mama, Mrs. Jones, thinks she's actually doing something good for Margie. But we know that if you have the real control over the house, if you can go back to your grandfather's grandfather's day, you might actually find something much more valuable, a place where you can have the leisure to indulge your imagination and then really learn. I also, I also think that it's important to, to think about what exactly they're striving for in these mechanical teachers. They're trying to gear it so that the teacher teaches at the level of each student. And this is something I have to do when I have a class of five kids. You know, some of them are going to be more advanced in certain areas and other ones are going to be less advanced. And this one has massive knowledge in this area and that one doesn't. So I have to, I have to really know what is going on in the mind of each kid, whether they're following along, if they're not just 
nodding their head, but actually comprehending and if they're paying attention and all that. It's kind of a management job. When you've only got one student, it's much easier to, to do that. But when you've got a bunch, you can see the problem gets worse and worse the more students you add. When you have a class of 300, you really can't get to know each one. There's no time. You don't have enough time. So, uh, and of course, I have had classes. Indeed, indeed. And I think that what's really important is that the kind of school, this formal education that we're seeing in this story where there's a county inspector, it's not homeschool, right? It's a county inspector who comes and makes sure everything is in alignment and everything's working. So you're still paying the school board taxes or whatever. Uh-huh. So that we think about how it used to be done in the days before these modern schools were invented, the kinds we have today, it was, if you could afford it, you would have a a tutor come to your house and live with you and teach your kids. And one way they did this in ancient Rome, right? They just go to Greece, uh, get a bunch of smart slaves who were working at the academy uh, and, you know, conquer them and say, now you work for us now. This is your family. You're going to teach my kids and they're all going to grow up to be geniuses, just like you. Um, so, right. the, the, and, and, you know, this is uh, sort of a horrible thing, but also a nice thing. And the mechanical teacher is so mechanical in this story that we, we have no sympathy for it at all. But I, I think about how, how important it is to be in touch with exactly that. What does the kid know? How, how, what pace are they at? It's don't make it mechanical. Don't make it. So reading a story like this is a way of breaking out of out of that formula. And I appreciate that the this um, National Education Association um, was aiming to do that with this story. I think we need to do this every day, basically, with education. Make sure that we're not trying to make it about memorization and, you know, filling in slots and punching holes and standardized testing and all that stuff. That's not education. That's just a way of measuring what we think of as some sort of result. And her mom is like so many parents, you know, give them more homework, more homework, pile on the homework. No, 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 don't do that. I I agree with much of what you say, and I think so much of it is very important. I would want to say, though, that there's an issue that is left out here explicitly, Mm -hmm. but implicitly is part of what makes this such an appealing story. When I taught classes of 300, I could not get to know each student individually, but I could put them within a structure of, for example, quartets, Mm -hmm. in which... Each of them was working with other people and was exposing their thoughts to each other and were sharing them. What we have here is, in fact, personalized education in this story because Tommy finds something and brings the book over to Margie's house. Mm-hmm. Right? He didn't, that book isn't there accidentally. He brings the book to Margie's house. She asks him a question. He gives her an answer. She asks, can she read the book? He says, we'll see about that. Mm -hmm. This is, in fact, an adjustment within which a student who's more advanced can learn much by dealing with a student who's less advanced. Do See one, do one, teach one is the medical school mantra. There is no reason why teaching has to be, and this you've obviously been saying, a matter of an authority posing questions and a subject replying with answers. 
there can be interactions mm-hmm. where in, in, in which people work together and that's what Margie wants and we see it in action in this story. Mm-hmm. What she doesn't say, what Asimov doesn't say is that sitting there together, Margie and Tommy are getting what Margie wants even though the school system that the county supports doesn't understand that it's useful at all. Right. right. In other words, when we look at how human beings learn, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. Thank you.